Hey guys, this is Anand Shempi from Anantech. This is the official Anantech podcast. We are here for episode 11. Um, with me this week, we have uh, Brian Klug, our senior smartphone editor. Hey guys. Um, this week we have, you know, despite it being a holiday week here in the U.S., um, we still have quite a bit to discuss. Uh, there's a good amount of phone stuff that happened. I want to talk a little bit about the Wii U. Um, and then we had Black Friday here, and uh, I picked up a couple of games, and, and I know Brian's been playing some stuff, so I want to get to that as well. Um, I've been so, working hard. I'm doing air quotes. <laughs> so I want to start out with, you've gotten a lot of cool stuff in. So you finally got Nokia's uh, Lumia 920 in, right? That's right. Yeah, I finally got that in, and I've been trying to do the battery life tests on it, but you know, since it doesn't have the never, never turn off the display option, it's been yeah. taking a while. But uh, I went out and shot photos and video with it um, now, at our uh, test locations. On, on the, I, did you, um, so, so Synaptics, when we met with them, they gave us these little slugs that they use. It's like literally a, like a, a metal thing, like a weight that, that resembles a finger, basically, um, that they use for, for triggering touch events on, on displays. Did that not work for you to, to keep it alive? Oh, you know, I haven't tried that. I've just never had any luck. Like you have the magic touch with making that work. Well, so the trick, I just I can never make it work. The trick with the slug is you have to. So the issue we have with a phone that doesn't have a setting that lets you um, keep the display from never going to sleep is, you know, our, our web our, our web browsing test just sits there and cycles through a bunch of web pages. So you still need to keep that display active, and and the uh, uh, the browser alone won't do it. The slug comes in handy because you can rest that on there, but you know you also have to ground the slug to something, right? Yeah. Um, well, I mean, and the, the Nokia phones, Nokia Windows phone um, devices that I played with all have only the five minute maximum before screen timeout set. Yeah. It seems like HTC does the never, they expose the never setting. Yeah. And just because by virtue of Windows phone being difficult to hack, difficult to get access to the registry unless you develop or unlock it. And now that's even more difficult. I can never go in and like hack my own like set the screen turn off to never and that's you know like every phone ever i can usually hack like yeah. the you know like back with um web os yes literally i had to hack like there was like a, a an xml file you had to go edit and like set the timeout to like the maximum integer for for whatever how much integer number of seconds before it turned off and that generally worked but i never have i never have luck with like you do with the the like faking a finger touching it all the time. <laughs> Wait, thing? so I, I don't know. So what I do is I I put the slug on there and then I usually take like a you know, I'll have like a an AC adapter plugged in somewhere and I'll take the, you know, little round connector and I'll rest that on top of the slug because usually in those cases the outer metal is the the ground and yeah. that that acts as a decent enough ground where it it'll keep it on. Interesting. So you actually wire this up to your your ground then is what yeah. you're saying. Wow. Huh. That's kind of scary, but I mean if it works, maybe I'll try it. <laughs> yeah, I mean cuz that, like that's the thing, like the 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 whole premise is your body acts as a good ground, I guess, for capacitive touch to work. Right. Um, right. Now, so I'm really curious, have you have you tried on the 920, you know, they've got the whole hey, it works with gloves thing. Have you tried that? Yeah, so I actually went out. I own a pair of like leather driving gloves. Yeah. And then um, I own some ski gloves and then cuz I like to go skiing sometimes. And then uh I have a pair of gloves that have the capacitive fingers. Okay. Like there's little metal fibers woven into the, the fingers. And then I bought a pair of mechanics gloves um, just for like tactical stuff. 
And those all worked. So, and it worked on the 820, which I sent to Vivek. Yes. And it works on the 922. Like, it, it's not perfect, but it works. I mean, huh. the, the problem that I have is that I still, like, my fingers are bigger just by, ver- by virtue of me wearing gloves. Yes. So it's harder to type. But it does work. Like, you can, you can trigger touch events just fine. And so, they have a setting where you can set the sensitivity, like, high, you know, medium, low, and configure it. But it works for me. Yeah, it's definitely a feature, and it, it, it works. So. Interesting. So it, it does sound like there are a whole bunch of things that I want to follow up on here. Um, it sounds to me like, uh, it, it, can you get into a situation where you set it too high and it starts triggering for, for things that aren't touch events? No. So there's a setting in, inside of settings that's display and touch, and you can just set it. There's like an on-off thing, a normal and high. Okay. And uh, when you have it set to high, then you can use the gloves. Uh, when you have it set to normal, it's just it's just like normal. But I haven't had any false touches happen. Um, so far, it seems good. I mean, honestly, this is a it's probably a, a great feature if you're in a cold climate. You know, like obviously the target here is Finland. Yeah, and that's pretty cold. You know, I would imagine it'd be popular in Canada too. Um, you know, where I'm at, wearing gloves is kind of alien to me. You know, I've, I've, unless I'm going to like commit a burglary or something, I don't like, I'm just not going to be wearing gloves. Yeah. No, uh, unless it gets really cold. The only reason I even have driving gloves in my car is for when I go to Colorado or something. Yeah. But, um, I mean, it works, it's there. It, so, so, I mean, that's kind of a cool feature. Well, so I know when you start playing around with wireless charging, you were like pleasantly surprised by it. Right. That's um, right. H- how does that are you also pleasantly surprised by this? Or I guess it doesn't impact you as much because you're just never in a situation where you can't. Yeah. It doesn't It doesn't impact me as much. The wireless charging thing I'm surprised by because it is it is very convenient, like the laziness factor, yeah. to just lay the phone down and not worry about it, like just walk away um, rather than having to sort of like struggle and plug something in. And, you know, the, which orientation the port is in, like this is something that I, I can't nail is the the usb micro yes plug because that's different and um francois and i were talking about this uh because he believed that there was a standard for which orientation the plugs are there actually isn't so what he was used to is seeing it one way on all the tablets that he had had prior to getting the nexus 10 and then they swipped they flopped you know like swipped it you know swatched wow i can't i I try (laughs) to say swap and switch and it's just like it keeps getting confused (laughs) But they sort of, they flipped which orientation it is. And as a result, um, he was having difficulty plugging stuff in. But my feedback was, hey, there's no, there's no standard. So that's a common like daily struggle for me with all these phones that I have to keep plugged in. And it's nice to have the charging pad and just lay things down. And it works. But I'm seeing, interestingly enough, some differences in the implementation for the, the Qi it's called it's wire i finally learned how to pronounce it it's chi yeah even um, though like, it's not spelled that way at all yeah but apparently it's pronounced that way it's like qi and it's but it's pronounced chi yeah when i was actually at the nokia thing they called it chi and that's what i wrote in our coverage and oh. then i looked up at you know i looked at the press release and i'm like what the what is qi i don't yeah. understand <laughs> That's not how you pronounce it. It's a terrible idea to have it that way because i mean just like when you're telling your friend like what I mean, wireless power consortium is probably a better thing to talk about because that's the actual 
forum, like WPC 1.1. Yeah. But it seems like everybody has acquired this Energizer mat that I bought, and the price actually went up on Amazon. And everybody that, like every editor that I've seen that's tried this is, is using that mat. And it works it works plenty fine. Like the mat is fine. The difference is that the client devices sort of pair to it differently. Like I saw my first experience was with the Nexus 4. And uh, on the Nexus 4, when it's done charging, it'll no longer draw power until it drops below like 95, 94% then it will draw up to the maximum. So it'll sort of like detach itself when it doesn't need power. Yeah. Um, and as a result, you know, you don't get any sort of like power sapping, you know, like it's not a vampire. It's not going to just draw power all the time. Uh, and in addition, it draws like the full seven watts. So five watts delivered minus the overhead. Um, and a lot of people email me, what is the efficiency? It's 70%. So there's a graph. It's well understood. It's 70%. But on other phones, I see an interesting behavior where it just stays attached forever, like the Droid DNA. And I actually told HTC about this, uh, that it, it just stays attached forever. And it, it draws the 5 watts, and it, it shows up as charging USB. So it charges a bit slower. But on the Nexus 4, it's like the ideal implementation, because obviously it works with Android now. So it shows charging and then and parents wireless. Yeah. And it, it knows when to detach. But, and the, the good news is that the Lumia 920 does it the right way too. It detaches, it'll charge just fine. Um, it doesn't stay charging forever. Um, all that good stuff. So I wanna, I wanna ask about um, the Droid DNA in a second, but on the 920 front, uh, so now that you have, you, you got it and you've obviously played with the uh, Windows Phone 8X by HTC, uh, for someone considering both of these, what, what are your pros and cons? So the 8X is definitely uh, smaller in the hand. It feels smaller. It just feels lighter. Um, personally, I like their industrial design a little bit more. That's just like a personal taste thing. Yeah. Um, if you want a phone that, if, if camera is a big priority to you, if using your glove is a big priority to you, um, you know, if display is a little bit more of a priority to you, then I would go with the 920. On the other hand, the 920 is a big device. Like, there's just no getting around the fact that it is big. And, um, I mean, it is it is definitely bigger than the, the 8X. And, but at the same time, it has OIS. It has all these other cool features, you know. Like, it has, it has the, cin- you know, the Cinegraph thing where you can sort of make animated GIFs in the camera. Yeah. Um, I think... I think that they're both very close. Like I, th- I think the 8x with HTC, HTC has done a great job executing on that front. Like this is a flagship device that stand out in so many ways. Um, I think the 920 is good too, but it's, it's just for me, it's bigger. And I really, I am always like, why is it so big? <laughs> but at the same time, you know, it has OIS. Okay. Um, has the cool display. They have, they still have the clear black polarizer, circular polarizer feature. I you know ultimately this is like a personal taste thing, and that's what will decide it for people in the store. I think at the end of the day. So it sounds uh, like based on what you're saying that the the 920 has a um, spec advantage through you know it supports optical image stabilization. Right. It can do better low light photography. Um, Right. The, the clear back black display is, is nicer. Is, is that appreciably nicer, you know, comparing them side by side? 
Um, you know, it makes a big difference in outside glare. I was actually surprised previously until this feature was implemented that nobody had really executed on that front because it's it's pretty easy to put, you know, like the quarter wave plate and then two circular polarizers. Or oh, yeah. so, one so, circular polarizer, but when you unfold it, it becomes two. So for, for people not familiar, can you take us through, like, what is clear black? Um, so basically, they, they minimize the back reflections by using the combination of a quarter wave plate and um, circular polarizer. So when you put, you know, when you end, so basically they polarize the light, then they add the, the wave plate, which changes the polarization to linear. And then there's a reflection that takes place. And then when you pass back through, it gets circular polarized the other direction. So upon reflection, you change, um, there's, a, there's a retardance that takes place. And then it gets it gets extinguished by the polarizer, which then acts as an analyzer, um, and I think that's how it works. Uh, I have to go check my like PDF to be sure, but this is off the top of my head how it works, and the result is pretty good. Like honestly, I like I like the fact that this is something that's noticeable outdoors. You know, it does make a substantial difference. Um, on the other hand, they do have some weird, you know, like off-axis color weirdness that takes place um and that's just as a result of you adding another polarizer to like already polarized light uh but it's not it's not that bad i got and but as a result outdoor viewability is much better you know and yeah you're just eliminating back reflections like by virtue of the fact that upon a reflection you change um your your phase angle changes you know like your polar polarizance that angle changes but how yeah. are they able to do that without impacting light transmission when you're going out of the display? Uh, well, they they probably do have they do take a hit. Okay, you know. Well, so they as so, a result. So LCDs are are vertically polarized or like they're horizontally polarized. They're not circular. Yeah. They're either like up and down or left and right, depending on which you know uh, orientation you're looking at. You know which orientation the cells are, but. Um, the reflection that they're minimizing is by virtue of they're polarizing incoming light using the circular polarizer, and then um, they pass through they pass through a filter. Basically, they just construct a filter that that completely clips all of the back reflections. Hmm. Okay. Yeah. Now, is this the is this a and because it's circular and the LCD is linear, that doesn't get extinguished. Otherwise, yeah, you would lose you lose a huge percentage. Yeah. You know? Now, do, is this a um, do do they laminate the um, cover glass to the the LCD itself? I believe so. I mean, that's pretty standard. Like everybody likes to talk about this, but everybody does that now. But at the same time, by you know, like by virtue of there being all this stuff in the way, um, you know, you're, it's thicker. Yeah. You know. So, what are you gonna do? I gotcha. And that's um, their end result. So actually, it's. What is it? They vertic- They put a linear polarizer, then a quarter wave plate. I knew there was circular in here somewhere. I looked it up now. So they have a linear polarizer that's vertically polarized. So that's how they're able to let light that's already um, vertical polarized by the LCD through. Okay. And then they have a quarter wave plate, um, just like film. So that makes it circular polarized. Right. And then when, when it's like left-hand circular and then you bounce off of the LCD, it becomes right-hand circular. Then when you pass through the quarter wave plate, it becomes horizontal instead of vertical. And then that's extinguished by the, the vertical linear polarizer that acts like an analyzer. So, I mean, it's actually pretty simple. This is like very basic. 
whenever you hit a, ref a reflection like this, your your right hand circular becomes left hand circular, and they just took advantage of that. Um, so they, I mean, they didn't, and at the same time, the analyzer is is not going to extinguish any of the the already vertical stuff um, from the LCD. So, yeah, they did a nice job. I mean, it's a feature. I really don't know, you know, like for me outside, I'm not outside a lot, just like currently in my lifestyle, but a lot of people are, and it's a big difference, you know, so I'll, I'll give them that. But off axis, yeah, it becomes a little bit weird. You can see some reds. That's something that I actually asked them about, but I never got a real response back, and it's a trade-off. Interesting. Like I, just know, I just know that's a trade-off. Um, but, yeah. I like the 920. I think the 8X is good, too. I, I just think the 920 is a little bit big. I think OIS is cool. You can definitely tell it's working when it's on. And we'll have some cool videos, you know. And so there you have those two. Okay. I haven't, I haven't finished the battery life test yet because, again, it's, it's difficult to test when they have it set to five minutes. You know, I haven't yeah. been able to complete a single run yet. Oh, that's terrible. Yeah, you should try, um, you should try actively grounding the slug and see if that works. Yeah, I'll give that a shot. I might just connect it to the ground pin on my my power supply thing because that that has that's grounded as well. Yeah, no. So you can do that. You can also you can ground it to like a PC chassis that's been properly grounded. Because um, hmm. you know, ground is connected to neutral, right? And the the current electrical wiring at some place along the line, ground is just neutral. You know, there's hot and then there's neutral. Well, yes. neutral is connected to ground, and it's like connected directly to to like copper slugs in the ground. Yeah. And they, they changed this in like the 50s because otherwise like lightning strikes along the line would cause like huge arcs to come out of sockets. Yeah. And it makes um like playing around with if it makes retrofitting light switches in older homes different than if you're doing, you know, like a newer home. Yeah. Right. Yeah. These are the interesting things that, I, that aren't part of a normal electrical engineering curriculum that you learn <laughs> later. <laughs> Um, okay, all right. So 920 and 8x, basically, it's a form factor versus, uh, or, or it's a it's a spec versus form factor debate there. Um, yeah, and if you value camera, get the 920. If you value like a lighter phone, get the 8x. Well, and the 8x is pretty. Like, you know, it's pretty. I think it's really pretty. I don't know no. why they call it California blue. They should have called it indigo. <laughs> it really annoys me. Because my, my feedback was, call it indigo. It is not, like, what is California blue? I have no idea. <laughs> I, mean, I, I will give you that the 8X is a very pretty phone. I was actually holding the 920. I was a bit confused because, you know, Nokia has always been known for having just, like, very bold, you know, very good styling, well-executed styling. Um, and I think HTC really pulled ahead with, with the 8X. Um yeah, and I, definitely. And it's not just they have fancy colors. It is like they fundamentally changed what the the construction of a phone is because the like you can ask any engineer right now what is the like status quo of design for a phone and it's you have a battery, you have an L-shaped PCB, put the antenna at the bottom in the little pocket that you form between the battery and the end of the L-shaped PCB. There you go. There's your phone. Like that's it. So what the 8X did is completely change that up with LCD. Then the biggest aerial size, um, like 2D size battery possible in that, like right next to the LCD. And then on top of that, they have like a small little square rectangular PCB. And then the antennas are there. 
So, you know, kudos. You guys mixed it up. That's very different from this, like, very traditional L-shaped thing. Even the iPhone, right? Everybody's like, oh, Apple does cool stuff. It's way different. No, take it apart. Look at it. It's an L-shaped PCB with the battery next to it. Look at the look at the Optimus G. Same thing. Look at the Galaxy S3. Same thing. Like, again, everything does this L-shaped PCB with a battery next to it. So I think HTC deserves a lot of credit. And it, it feels different as a result. Like, it's completely alien. At least to me. I don't know. I could be completely wrong. No, but... so, so to me, I, I do agree that it feels different. Um, I don't think it's immediately apparent, like, what's happened, um, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. to, to enable that different feel. But it, it definitely feels different. And it definitely feels a lot smaller than the specs would imply. Yeah, because it's like a centimeter thick. But it doesn't feel a centimeter thick because it tapers to, like, a razor edge. Yes. And understanding that difference versus, like, what are the specs at the thickest point versus what does it feel like is is the thing that I need to communicate and review that, like, other people need to communicate and review because anybody can just look at the specs. And I think that even though it looks really thick on paper, it, it, is, not, it is not a thick phone in the pocket, in your hand, you know, in practice. Um, whereas the 920, I'm like, why is it so big? <laughs> you know, but at the same time, people love big phones. Yeah. Right. And that's, this is like an industry trend. So, um, switching gears a bit, you also got the droid DNA. Yeah. Speaking of big phones, yeah, exactly. I mean, that is like a big phone, but ironically enough, the 920 is like the same size as the, the DNA, like up against each other, you know, like the 920 is a little bit thicker. And I don't know, the DNA, so the DNA is a great phone that for some reason all the reviews, all the first reviews hated for reasons that I don't quite understand. And um, I've been doing my battery life testing. I wanted to get a preview out before Black Friday, but I was a little bit uncertain about one or two numbers. And I like to run things a couple times to make sure that we're not seeing weird stuff. And the battery life is actually middle of the pack. Like you'll see later on when we do the actual review, which is pretty close to being finished that it's not as bad as it's made out to be and at the same time you have a 1080p display so i have more i have the same number of pixels on here as my 55 inch tv (laughs) right right i mean that's just unbelievable yeah and it's like it's phenomenal i can't i couldn't believe it but i can actually see the difference like there is a difference that like visually um really where do you notice the difference um the most like, I just never see pixels at all, like, ever. You know, like, the, in terms of visual acuity, I shouldn't be able to detect a difference. Um, but I, I believe that's for the maximum edge. That's, a, that's for, what is that, a 50% square wave? You know, I shouldn't be able to see a difference. There are some cases where with other patterns, you know, like in the green or um, generally with text, that you can see other, you know, like, you can see the pixels. And there's also the issue of, like, is there subpixel font smoothing or not? And, I mean, it's unbelievable, like, the resolution on here. I don't, I don't know what else to say. You just It's one of those things you can't <laughs> communicate in pictures. You have to go look at. Yeah. And if you have good eyesight, you will just be blown away. And for me, I'm blown away. And it's not that thick either. Like, it is a thin phone. It is pretty light. It's, you know, it's big. It's no bigger than other phones that I've. I've reviewed recently, like the Note 2 or the 920, and it's got a 1080p display, right? 
So, yeah, it's a great phone that everybody hates. I don't know why. Uh, <laughs> they like honestly, I think this is HTC's best phone yet. Like, it's a better One X. Um, it's got you know, it's it's their Fusion Three first phone. It's I mean, it's been leaked to hell. Like we knew this was coming forever. Yeah. Now, but, why do you say this is HTC's best phone yet? Because because of all the specs, you know, like five inch 1080p display. It's their first quad core APQ8064 phone. Okay. You know, it's their first Fusion 3 phone. And it's got all the right buttons checked, you know. There's nothing really wrong with it. I mean, it's got a sealed internal battery, but that's that ship has sailed so long ago that I'm just tired of hearing about it. Like, I just won't even respond. Yeah. You know, that and the SD card. I'm sorry, people. Most normal people just don't ever change the SD card. <laughs> That's the reality, and most normal people don't change the battery. Yes. So what are you going to do if you're an OEM, right? What, I mean, you want to reduce RMAs. Just eliminate every single um, thing that can go wrong. And that meant the keyboard, right, which, like, nobody complains about. Well, some people do complain, but not a lot of people complain about not having a hardware keyboard anymore, right? And not a lot of people are going to complain in the future about not having removable battery as long as battery life is good enough yes and i feel like you know i mean you know you know the rant you know you know the state of battery life testing and (laughs) in our battery life test it is not bad like i i spent the last friday night with it um just out and about with friends and i didn't kill it you know uh i didn't spend the whole day with it i don't have a horizon line uh but you know i've played around with it i've been doing my battery life testing nonstop. I've got two runs through all the sync, all the tests now, and it is not that bad. So, you know, if you load things up 100%, sure, okay, it's going to die fast. But you're just penalizing a faster device. And if well, you I, load load up the display to some arbitrary brightness percentage, then fair. You're just going to penalize the fact that an LCD goes brighter than Samsung's, like, 250-nit AMOLED, which is supposedly the best thing on Earth, Right. So and, I feel like on the on the power consumption side, you know, if you look at the evolution of laptops, right, we went from like 30 minutes of battery life to much, much longer over time. Um, right. Whereas right. if you look at the evolution in phones, we went from multiple days down to, you know, just a handful of hours. And I think people... Yeah, but we got these, massively new features, right? No, no, totally true, right? But like people are still... I don't see it as much anymore, but I remember in the early days of like the first Android devices and the first iPhones, people still had this kind of BlackBerry mentality in their mind. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and as a result, like this was all a regression. And, and I think what a lot of folks need to come to terms with is the fact that it's just never going to be that again, right? Like it's, <laughs> uh, yeah, it until... I don't think it needs to be that way. As long as you can get through one day, that's fine. A day and a half, that's fine. Like there's this, there's this, I feel like the, the case that people talk about is like, oh, I went and like passed out of my buddy's house. Like I got really <laughs> drunk and like I fell asleep at my friend's house. Right. And then in that case, you only really need the morning. Like this is not a common, like everyday occurrence for me, but I can, I can understand the use case. And like at the same time, I don't know who the heck doesn't have friends that have micro USB cables, but I mean, I'm weird. Okay. Like I have, <laughs> like I if. Like, if I'm in a friend's house, I just go plug it in my car. Like, my F-150, the accessory ports are always on, even when the car isn't on, because it's got, like, the the world's largest battery. Yeah. So you can just plug your phone in and then walk away, right? So, like, if I'm going to go and pass out at my friend's house, 
which never happens, by the way. But if I were, <laughs> then yeah, I would ostensibly charge in the car. So really, you only need one day. I don't understand why. Well, you so need... the 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 counter to that is if you're traveling, like if you're traveling like all day, and the sure. The only but time we do that a lot, and yeah. like I don't kill everything, you know. But at the, I mean, maybe I do. But at the same time, I have like a huge battery. You can buy an extent. Everybody that's like, oh, well, we lost this thing that's never going to come back with the replaceable battery. Just like every phone editor I know has one of those like micro USB battery chargers. Yes, right. It's like twenty dollars on Amazon, right? And then you're not locked into a certain phone. You can charge anything. Do you have a preference for? I haven't found like the ideal one yet for me. Oh man, and they're like they're like a commodity. Okay, so I use the new Trent one. Um, I know there are a lot of people who feel strongly about that one not being the best one. There's an Anker one that's 3,200 milliamp hours. The new Trent one that I have is like 9,900 milliamp hours, and it was like 50 bucks. The Anker one is like 22 bucks there are a bunch of different ones like it's commodity just go on amazon and buy whatever's cheapest it doesn't even matter <laughs> right and as long as it has the micro usb charging and it looks like the reviews say that it works with the um usb battery charging 1.2 spec like it has a 200 ohm resistor yeah. across the d plus d minus data pins which is impossible to find out by the way since like this apparently is still a mystery to people well, that's why I asked you what what is your so those two work those two work like and how do you sign spell off. those two like I'm I'm not I'm not familiar with the brands uh, New Trent like N E W T R E N T okay um, and like I bought that myself for traveling and I use it pretty much every trip ever okay um, it's like the iGeek 9900 milliamp hour I believe that one's okay it's like fifty bucks it's kind of big whatever it works. <laughs> it has two ports and you can charge whatever like the one time every time i go to LaGuardia, i get delayed for like an entire day yes and the one time that i went and it was like i just got delayed endlessly i was using that and it worked perfectly and i've used it on other trips and that awesome. one does the full like 2.1 amps five volts um from one from one port the other port does one amp so really again it's like people that are just like I don't want to say QQing, but like, hey, you know, like, come on, you know, that ship sailed. If you want smaller devices, OEMs want smaller devices. They want to have that, you know, like in-store appeal. And your normal user just doesn't ever take the take the micro SD card out. Yeah. And the the way that it's viewed now is not as like a feature that's good. It's viewed as a an ability, like a, it's viewed as a mitigation that allows you to ship a phone with like two gigs of storage. Yes. Well, I think that's the, from my perspective, I don't like, I like that we're finally getting competition in the, the storage space. I don't like how expensive NAND is passed on to like consumers, right? Because it's, I mean, it's, we're yeah. talking about single digit dollars worth of NAND. Um, Versus the $100 markup that you see. Yeah, which is, I mean, like, it's not even, you're not even insulated from it as a consumer, right? Like Intel released their high-end enterprise SSD at $2.35 per gigabyte. Right? Like that's the wow. best MLC NAND that you can get. It'll last like just forever, basically, right? Like and and that's two dollars and thirty-five cents to the end user. And wow. we're paying, you know, a hundred bucks for a sixteen gig upgrade. So I mean that's that's your thing. What what fixes that? Because this is this is like how they keep their margins really competitive. 
right? That whole like, you know, this is like a science in and of itself is how do you price these different storage capacities? Yeah. And obviously Apple has it figured out. I don't know if all the other OEMs do. This is something that a lot of people care about. Like every every comment that I read about a phone is like, oh, it's only got 16 gigs. I'm never going to buy it. Yeah. But at the same time, that's the SKU that's got the least margin. So you know? from my perspective on this is as follows. I remember the... I remember the day that I first heard that Intel was going to try and make a PC for $699. And if you remember back then, that was like a big deal, right? No one ever thought we'd hit 1,000. No one ever thought we'd hit 699. And if you look at where we came from, we came from PCs being $3,000, $3,500, even more. You know, you go back even further. And I remember, you know, hearing that and saying, well, that's impossible. Like, I I don't even see how this is physically happening. But you look out today, and I mean, you can get like a one and a half billion transistor Ivy Bridge based CPU in a laptop in a laptop with a display for less than 500 bucks. Yeah. Um, I'm kind of waiting for that moment to happen in phones, right? Because it, 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 it has hmm. to happen. But did it happen with the Nexus four? The right? Nexus four is like a, I view that as a, a shot across the bow, right? Like it's yeah. a, Hey, this is going to happen. Clearly it's not. I mean, if you remember what happened when we saw the first 699 uh, PC, it was like everyone came out with you know their equivalent. Um, I don't think we're we're there yet on on the phone side. And part of that, you know, unfortunately, part of our progress there is slowed by carriers, right? That they have a vested interest for us to not hit that point. Um, but right, I think because it's an, then the contract goes away. Yeah, I, but the thing is, it's it's inevitable, right? Like it's it's uh, that's like the beauty of this technology. It's the beauty of this industry. Prices will always do that. They will always get cheaper. You will always get, um, you know, before they hit a bottom. Um, but you will always get more for the same amount of money, you know, next year and the year after and, you know, until the end of Moore's Law. And uh, at, at yeah. that point, you know, it, even if you manage to keep this going forever, at some point you do hit fast enough for mainstream. Um, and, and then that's when it happens. But but I don't think that's, I don't think it'll take us that long to get there. Um yeah, and, and I, I don't. I want it to happen fast because at the same time, none of these devices cost the non-commit price to make. You know, yeah. there's just so much profit built in, and and everyone I explain that to is totally blown away, right? That you are selling a. But that's crazy! I can't believe people are blown away. Like, did you ever think that it really costs close to seven hundred dollars to make an iPhone? Yeah, and and well, I, do I people guess... really think that? I mean, like for me, that's just obviously not the case. Like, I would never entertain that thought. No, I think it's totally. You know, these are folks. I, I again, I remember. I look back to when it happened with PCs. I remember when you could first start buying notebooks. Like, I mean, they didn't have great displays or whatever, but when you could start buying notebooks for less than a thousand dollars, then less than five hundred dollars, that was a really, really like difficult thing for a lot of people to swallow. Um, now it's kind of commonplace, but I, I think, you know, I was having this discussion with, um, with Kara, with one of our colleagues and, you know, she was like, really, is it, is it really only $200 or something to build one of these things? Really? And, and this is, you know, a very smart individual, like someone who has exposure yeah. to all this stuff. But, um, well, yeah. so obviously we need to change that perception. I think it is slowly changing. People are starting to realize, you know, that they don't need necessarily a contract Yes, and that the value is no longer in these subsidies and then the artificially high price behind the subsidy. Well, I think and that's, that's um, going to go away. You, you know, love it or hate it, right? Like that's kind of been 
So you look at why did that happen in the PC industry, right? So in the PC industry, you had two players. You had Microsoft and you had Intel. And they made sure that they had their margins. And then they forced everyone else to drive to lower margins. And everyone in the chain said, well, that's okay. We'll take lower margins and we'll have larger volume. And eventually, you know, what happened to everyone's business. But, but that's why we ended up with, you know, $200 notebooks on Black Friday. You look at the yeah. smartphone space, <laughs> everyone, or, or not everyone, but there are far more than two players in that space that want a big profit on each device sold. That's what has to change. If you want phones to go from $700 to, let's say, 250 for like yeah. end user cost, you're going to have to have a couple of people that make all the money and everyone else has to just be making commodity parts. Um, yeah. Part of that. Well, that'll happen eventually. So part of that is Intel strategy, right? They want to go in and integrate enough where they make good margins and integrate so much where there's not really much left on the table for anyone else to have a value add. This like is all the popcorn. This is what the, the popcorn, all the chips around the other exactly. the big chip. Yeah. They want, I mean, and the, the, cell, the cell is, hey, look, then the device OEM can focus on what they're good at. Yeah. You know, which and, well, and, when, well, what is that? You know, exactly. Look, everybody's like, hey, what is that? Is that sense? Is that touch whiz? And, and everybody's and, response is always, ugh. <laughs> but, you know, the writing's on the wall there. Well, I think that is the nice way of saying, you know, if we win, our goal is to take all of the profit. <laughs> and you guys can just build the thing and you'll make your five points and that's it. Um, yeah. It's not desirable for everyone because, again, everyone else is already making. You know, they're selling $200 phones for 700 bucks or 500 bucks or whatever. Um, but I think it's better for the consumer, right? Because then the consumer no longer has to be subservient to this carrier for two years. Like it, it... You know, my brother asked me a good question is why is the carrier contract two years? And I don't know the answer. Like, why is it two years when the life of these devices is like one, you know? And maybe that'll get shorter eventually. You know, maybe that's the way to accelerate. See, I think two years is a good balance for the carrier, right? I think the problem at one year is you uh, you don't give enough time for you to reap. I mean, you're basically, you know, you start out the contract and, and you as the carrier have, have gifted your customer a very expensive device for very little. Um, yeah. You can make that money up in a year. And that's great, but you want to make more money, right? Like <laughs> you want to you want to get your no, your no, full... I understand that. <laughs> um, and to put this in perspective, right? Like this is this is how I usually explain it to people when they're like, you know, these devices, how you know, how is there so much money in the mobile space? Um, and the way I position it is this: in the PC industry, the average upgrade cycle was three to five years. So every three to five years, Dell or HP or whoever could guarantee that, you know, they'd get another, let's say, thousand to three thousand dollars, let's say fifteen hundred bucks out of out of their customers. Um, the carrier, on the other hand, if you've got a, a beefy data plan, um, they can kind of guarantee over two grand from you every twenty four months. Right, right. And if you look at the industry that was spawned by people spending fifteen hundred dollars every three to five years, and now you think about a carrier getting over two grand every two years for life. Like that's never going away, right? Because it's not like after yeah. those two years, they're going to shop somewhere else. At least in the U.S., that's indefinitely. Until something major happens, that's indefinite. Um, 
which is why, like, again, you look at the size of the PC industry and you look at more revenue going into this other industry um, on a shorter cycle. And that's just, to me, that's mind-blowing. That's just exactly why they're able to fight so hard and so long to kind of screw the customer, right? Like, Because it's just, there's so yeah, much money at they stake. They want to protect that that cycle. Interesting. So, yeah. Um, anyways, I, I think the, the way it works is uh, we need to have, one, we need to have more of the Nexus 4 style device to kind of bring that pricing down. Two, we really do need... Uh, you know, we, we've kind of taken the stance of, hey, I don't believe people cross shop Android or iOS. And, and I think that's fair. I, I don't think people, you know, you do find people that maybe get bored of one platform and just want something different. Um, but at that point, I don't think they're cross shopping. I think they just, they just want something different. But what we right, do need is right. we, we do need cross shopping, right? We need people to look at the iPhone 6 or 7 or whatever. And, and I need a an equal competitor there you know i need it to be just as close just as polished and and just as apple like of an experience so that someone will force apple to to be more competitive on pricing um we've had that but we've had that in the android space and the problem is if people aren't cross shopping then i don't care if you're only charging 15 bucks for 60 gigs or for 16 gigs um in android because it, it's people don't view that as a, a as an alternative then Hmm. Right, like Asus, I think it's happening. Android is getting way more polished now. It is, but it's still fundamentally, you, you know, uh, the way I describe it to myself is uh, the iOS experience is an appliance, the Android experience is a computing device. Um, and, right. and we've talked about this as well, right? It, it yeah. makes sense in everyone's, you know, kind of grand computing, you know, schemes. Yeah. But what we need is we need an appliance to go up against the iPhone in order to drive competition there. Is that Windows Phone, though? I mean, Windows Phone is pretty appliance-like. It is, but I don't... Uh... It still is not up to the level of iOS in terms of what what features are yeah. supported. I, and I feel like the, the long-term strategy with Windows Phone still hasn't been revealed yet, right? I think the trump card for Microsoft in all of this is still Xbox. You know, the minute you can say, hey, you have Halo, you know, 5 or 6 or whatever, and... You can play that on your Xbox Next and on your tablet and on your PC and on your phone. That is a very difficult thing to compete against if you are not Sony, right? Like if you yeah. don't have that just immense gaming population base. Um, and people always say that, hey, look, it was the you know the gaming industry that really pushed the PC industry for so long. And people are kind of saying that about smartphones today, but it's still all like casual gaming it's not it's not that yeah you know real deep gaming experience yet um yeah. so, so i still think we haven't seen the true potential of windows phone yet and it's not just in you know you mentioned this in in your preview that uh they've they've fixed a lot of things but there's still more things that you need in order for it to be a true replacement device for you i think there's all of that that has to be gotten you know right but i think there's this whole other aspect of it that that we haven't even seen the roadmap for and i and i do believe that that comes after the next xbox um which is unfortunate if you're someone who wants to support microsoft today um but i I just feel like that's what it's going to be i hope for their sake that they they have that sort of long-term vision because like it's always on the horizon it seems yes i mean and that's you know if you the scary part about that is uh you could say the exact same thing about intel right intel intel has this long-term vision but every time we talk about 
what Intel's got or what's, you know, when will Intel make a real impact in the mobile space? It's always like on the horizon. And right. You don't win things by just being on the horizon, right? <laughs> like you, you know, ARM is doing battle today. Apple is doing battle today. Um, so yeah. I don't know. It is. Uh, it's very much in the air, but I mean, what are you going to do? Yeah. Um, oh, speaking of which, I, I know we didn't, this wasn't on our, uh, on our outline, but I did want to talk about that. Um, Paul Odellini announced that he will be retiring early at, uh, yeah, I saw that. Did we, we didn't have a story on that, did we? Or did you? I don't we know. Didn't. I didn't. Um, it. I was in the middle of doing a bunch of stuff and, and I, I tried to do a little background research to figure out, you know, exactly. So the thing at Intel is, uh, mandatory retirement is, fo- uh, is forced on all Intel CEOs when they hit 65. Um, Odellini will be retiring at 62, I guess, which is unusual, um, uh, for, for an Intel CEO to retire early. Um, so the first thing to say is, you know, you hope it's not a health thing, right? Like that's, um, and, and no one says that it is, but I, I just, I, for the sake of him and his family, and I, I just hope it's not that. Um, then the second thing is, well, why would the CEO of Intel want to retire early? Um, and you look at Paul's track record and, you know, with any CEO, you can, you can talk about pros and cons. Paul was the guy that got Intel into Apple. Um, and right that worked out really well, right? Like if you look at the, if you look at the feathers in his cap, um, core is doing really well. Intel has never executed better in the x86 space than it has at this point. Um, and if you look at kind of the mess Intel was in seven or eight years ago, this is a, a much better position. Then if you look at what's on the horizon, you know, Intel has this looming arm problem. Um, right, it, it right. also risks, not having Apple as a as a major customer, you know, in in the you know let's say the next five years, these are all things that I think Intel can solve. You know, if it does the right things and executes well and and is as aggressive as it has in the past, but it's going to be a painful, very difficult set of things to achieve, right? And and I right. don't necessarily know, I don't know that there's a solution involved or or an apparent solution where you can solve the problem, be competitive in all these other new areas, retain Apple, do all this stuff, and still maintain 60% margins, right? So I, I don't know. Yeah, I think if, that goes away, <laughs> sadly, I, the 60% part. Maybe, again, I don't know, right? In the past, um, if you had said, would it be possible to, to sell a $399 notebook and Intel for, for Intel to still make its margins, I would have said no. Clearly, that's possible. Um, and, and That's true. The the whole trick to mobile has always been, uh, you know, we'll make it at N minus one. We own the fabs and we're subsidizing it because there's still this market out there for stuff that demands the the latest and greatest fab tech. So as a result, yeah, you know, it's you you make Clover Trail or Clover Trail plus plus whatever you want to call it at N minus one in a mostly depreciated fab fab that's been paid off uh, and yields are really good. Yeah, you can sell it for a lot less than you would core and, and still make decent margins. So it's it's possible, but this is still going to be a very, very painful fight, I think. I, I don't think it's going to be as um, uh, kind of as easy as has been over the past few years, and the past few years haven't been easy either. So so it all hinges on Valley View is what you're saying. I, I don't know. <laughs> it's, it's more than that, right? Like it's... Really? You know, I think it all hinges on Valley View. I mean, that's the mobile execution right there, the new... The new um, out of order atom core, 
But that's, you know? that starts out in tablets, right? I, I don't know. The, the problem about winning this new market is you have so many different devices that you have to win in. Right? It needs like, to ex- the power factor needs to extend between phones and tablets. Yes. Right? That's what you're saying. Well, not only that, right? But you have to... So let, let's look at the, the potential scenarios, right? So uh, let's say you never win Apple. And, and Apple sticks with its own stuff for, you know, let's say the next seven or eight years. Um, but isn't that unrealistic? I mean, isn't nobody, nobody's going to win Apple but Apple, right? They're just so spoiled by the level of um, customization that they have, and they invested all this money into their own CPU. Is that ever realistically going to go back? I don't know. I mean, I would say yes, right? Like, mm. I think, I fundamentally believe that at some point... Um, so for, for starters, I am shocked that we are even in this situation today that Apple has had to like, this is make its own CPU. Yeah. Like that is a pure failure in all of the people that provide Silicon and IP into the mobile space that one of your potentially biggest customers goes out and has to compete with you because you don't deliver what they want. Right. Like true, true. But at the same time, I mean, they, they achieve, I mean, they have the money to do, to do that. So why not? Because it's freaking right. risky, right? Like, that's... I, <laughs> it's risky, but, I mean, if you have the money, why not? I don't know. I mean, my I, big thing was always, if we have all this money and, you know, like, we're able to just do whatever we want, like, we can write billion-dollar checks, yeah. why not just go license um, 9x15 and stick that on our SOC? Yeah. You know, like, why not just do all these crazy things? See, I don't know. In In the old days, well, not old days, but, you know, Two or three years ago, if you asked me, I'd always point to um, uh, Tim Cook saying, we're the most focused company that I know, right? And, and what would the most focused company in the world do? Well, it wouldn't go and be a silicon maker as well. Um, that's I still, true. I still believe that that's the case, right? Like, I don't—clearly, I don't. I, clearly they've done a great job here. But I think had someone provided the right silicon at the right time, then Apple would gladly pay for it. I think everyone, you know, Qualcomm has gotten it right um, with Crate. I thought Crate was really well done, but you look at the timing on Crate, right? If you look at if you look at uh, where Apple wanted to be at every iPhone and every iPad release, there was not a suitable silicon solution on the market, or even close to being on the market at the time. Hmm. And but eighty nine sixty was out before iPhone five at lower GPU performance, right? That's true. Yeah, like Adreno 225. I don't understand. And even if you look at Intel's roadmap, right? It's good. It gets better. But it's still not It's not enough for anyone you know, over in Cupertino to be like, well, okay, yeah, this is, this is what we need. We should just integrate this. Because that's got to yeah. be easier, right? Like it's... <laughs> I think that killed TI as well a little bit too. They've always been on the conservative side with their GPU. Yes. So, Interesting. So I don't know. I mean, I think the Odellini announcement is really. Uh, uh, so are you saying that that's a failure of execution on their part to have a mobile answer that's that um, competent, competent enough to make it into the biggest vendor? Yeah, I think that's failure of, ex- of execution on everyone's part. Because in my opinion, if you I mean, look at the x86, uh, look at the PC space, who would ever say what company would be like, well, you know, we'll just, we'll just build our own. Right, like it doesn't happen because Haswell yeah. and and the entire <laughs> core lineage is so good. Now, if you look at areas where Atom competes, yeah, you got a lot of people saying, ah, eh, you know, I'll just Samsung says, yeah, I'll just I'll build my own thing. It's 
it's easy. <laughs> you know, there's no there's no real reason for me not to. Um, and, and the thing is, whenever I bring up Apple, whenever I'm meeting with any of the SOC guys, they're always like, oh, we'd love to have that business. But, you know, it's Apple. They're never going to buy from us. And I'm just like, well, yeah. that, that doesn't make yeah. any sense to me, right? Like, it's if someone who doesn't have, who has no history of building GPUs and CPUs is now all of a sudden building its own CPUs and GPUs because it can't find anything kind of on the market that's reasonably priced that meets all of its its needs. That seems to me like a major failure if if what your business is is making CPUs and GPUs. Um, That's very true. So very I, true. I, don't, I don't know. I, I, I don't know what happens. Um, but, but I think um, the early retirement on Paul's part, I, I, uh, I, I think that has a lot to do with, hey, I've done a lot. What we're going to have to do next is really difficult. And I can only imagine like how draining and how difficult that might be. Um, Right. And I think it's it you know it'll it'll be you, we that's we a big deal. It is a big deal, and we we mentioned how uh, how Intel, like Microsoft, all of its solutions to these problems are always on the horizon. Maybe Paul feels that that they need a slight change in leadership to to kind of not be in that position mm-hmm. anymore. Catalyze something. Yeah. Huh. I don't know. Um, so yeah, that's that. Did you want to talk about Galaxy Camera? Yes, I did. Um, this is something I feel strongly about. Speaking of um, markets that need uh, shake-up or disruption. <laughs> yeah, but so the Galaxy Camera is like a Galaxy S3, but with a camera. And yes. it can't it can't place uh, calls, but it, it, has, uh, it has data. So the idea is that, at least on AT&T, you add it to a mobile shared plan. And then you put a you put a SIM on it and attach it for like the ten dollars a month or whatever um, that you can attach tablets or in this case a camera to your mobile data bucket and then you get a phone well really a camera that can send pictures over a cellular network and browse the internet and you know like look at Twitter and it's a camera and at the same time you get all the benefits of it being a smartphone such as like it can GPS tag things. Um, you can instantly share all the things, um, auto upload to Dropbox from the thing, all this good stuff. And it's a, it's a pretty decent 16 megapixel camera. And I wish the CMOS was bigger, but I mean, it's a huge display, um, touchscreen. It's like galaxy S three quad core Exynos 4412 and all the fixings. So I finally got one and I've been like, this has been something I've felt very strongly about since multiple vendors have promised for years now that we'd see an Android camera, like an Android point and shoot. And other than the Nikon S800C, this is the first one. And it's pretty good. Like, honestly, it's it's very good. I think it's it's not going to be necessarily the biggest commercial success um, just because of what it's where it's priced at and, you know, like where it is in the point and shoot space. Well, but what is the, the price first. on it? I believe it's like five or six hundred bucks. Ooh, uh, yeah, which is a lot for a point and shoot. And there's no getting around that. So that's something you need to swallow. And of course, it's five hundred dollars. Yeah, that's what I thought. And at the same time, yeah, you if you really want to use the fact that it's a galaxy camera, you need to pay for cellular. I mean it has Wi Fi, but you know, you're just never gonna get around that. Well, so um, I'm curious, um, as a camera, it's it's indistinguishable from the Galaxy S3. 
No, it's uh, 16 megapixels. It has optical zoom, optical image stabilization. Oh, wow, okay. Bigger sensor in Galaxy S3, different ISP. Um, actually, I'm not really certain on the ISP. I was convinced it had the same ISP for a while. Now I'm convinced that it's different. Um, so I haven't really done all my digging yet. But what I saw earlier, I was kind of confused by. Uh, but it's a it's a bigger sensor. It's not like the biggest in the point and shoot space. Um, I put together a big table and a preview piece, and I don't. It didn't get a lot of attention, even though it has all the specs that took me forever to dig out. <laughs> it's it's 1.4 micron pixels, which is standard for a smartphone. Um, the CMOS format is one over 2.3 inches, so it's 1.2, you know, 2.3 inch size. Uh, so that's a size that's like six millimeters by four and a half millimeters, uh, which is fairly big. Ironically enough, the PureView 808 has a bigger sensor, but that's not surprising because it's 41 megapixels with 1.4 micron pixels. But at the same time, this is Android 4.1, you know, versus Symbian Bell, and it can make calls, but it has cellular, and you know, for what it does, it does really good. I like it a lot. And it can shoot 480p video at 120 FPS. Oh, nice. 1080p video at 30 FPS. Yeah. Uh, it has like 21x zoom. Um, at the at the largest telephoto thing, it gets stopped down to f5.9. You know, at 1x zoom, it's f2.8. I've been playing around with it a lot. Uh, like I took it to Thanksgiving dinner, pictures of the family. I went downtown with it taking pictures with it. You know, it's difficult to carry around for me. It doesn't really fit in my pocket. It's a point and shoot, like, and it's bigger than a normal point and shoot because it has a 4.8 inch display. But this is the first, and I feel very strongly about the fact that this is sort of like the convergence device for point and shoots. It's something that looks like a smartphone, and at the same time, smartphones are becoming the new point and shoot. So where does that meet? And this is the first data point on the point and shoot side. You know, as a DSLR owner, I've always wanted to have GPS, you know, on my on my point on the DSLR, and I've always wanted the ability to like upload photos immediately from the DSLR, and if that's just impossible even with an iFi card. Like, it's just it's impossible to get working, uh, and it's not like you can use USB on the go reliably with any device to do an SD card. You know, like mount it. It just never works. Like I've never it's never worked. I've brought brought the cable, the reader, just like something always goes wrong. It's impossible to get, you know, like I just want to tweet a picture. Like I took this cool picture of X or Y, I want to tweet it, you know, like immediately share it. You want to be first, um, you know, not in just our business, but you know, like if you're taking a picture of something cool and this is the first, it's like, Hey, you can do that. And it's a point and shoot. So you're not sacrificing everything and you don't have any control. It has the real PASM, you know, like Program, aperture, shutter, manual, all those controls. Set your ISO to 3200, et cetera, et cetera. So, yeah, I really like it. It's going to be a commercial disaster, I'm sure, because it's just so expensive and it's an alien concept to everybody. But it doesn't matter. Like, I don't care. Don't tell me that it's going to be a failure because it's first. And that's that's the good part about it. And so far, I've been very pleased. Like, performance is just like a point and shoot. It starts up fast. Um, they have a little mitigation for the fact that it's it's Android. It's really an Android device at its core. Like it turns off after an hour by default. At first, I thought it was locking up because I was running our battery life test on it, and I was like, "Oh, great, it's unstable. <laughs> it's like powering off." But no, it's an auto power off feature because people, you know, with a point and shoot, want really long standby time. 
Yes. Like they just leave it. So what it does is it really just like hibernates and it uses the fast fast boot feature to come back really quickly. Um, and you can turn that all off and use it as a normal camera, or you can, um, I mean, you can turn that all off and use it like a, like a tablet. Um, so it will have, you know, like shorter standby time, but still okay. Or you can leave it on and then it will have like infinite standby time because it's really off. Um, so yeah, a lot of those questions are the things that people have about what does this look like? Is it a point and shoot? Is it a smartphone? Even though you can't place calls from it. And but could you I'm like, excited could you do it. Skype on it? Yeah, you I mean yeah, totally you can do Skype. It has headphone jack, microphone. Yeah, you could totally do Skype from it. I mean this would be like an ideal Skype device, right? Because it has a real quality camera that you can zoom in, it has OIS. Um can you um see I'm looking at this as is how much of a iPod touch slash point and shoot convergence device replacement would this be? Hmm. As an iPod Touch replacement, you can you can totally use it. I mean, it's Google Music. Yeah. Uh, and it has an SD card slot, like micro SD. So I stuck a 64 gig micro SD in uh, that I bought from Amazon, and you can do all your shooting on there. And you know, it's like a point and shoot, but it just runs Android, which is yeah. awesome. And like you, you can know. run Twitter on it. You can like you can use yeah. this as your ten dollar a month. You know, if you've let's say you've got like a family share plan going already, you could right. use this as your hey, it does everything but calls. Right, exactly. And it runs four point one, Android four point one, and it's quad core Exynos. So like I was tweeting pictures from it, you know. Huh. And like at events, this would be awesome to use. Like take a picture, a video, upload it instantly. Etc. Etc. It doesn't have LTE. This is like uh, just WCDMA twenty one point one. It's like an international Galaxy S three shoved into a, a you know a point and shoot. Yeah. And personally, I don't think it's big. I think it's bigger for a point and shoot than normal. You know, I had this discussion with a few other editors. Like it is bigger in terms of like how much size there is taken up by a display, and like it's two D dimensions. But again, you get what you get. Yeah. And I really like it. So, I don't know. I felt very strongly about it. I think it's definitely a better performer in terms of, you know, like how responsive the OS is than the S800C. Um, Just from what I know about the S800C uh, from Nikon, which is like single core Cortex A5 uh, with with WVGA (laughs) display and it runs Android 2.3. Wow, that's terrible. Yeah, (laughs) and they have a weird little like that boots up like it. It's a little. It's not as ideal. Ganesh, I mean, like I'm I'm sugarcoating it a lot. Ganesh has some really colorful words for it, but I think everybody in this industry acknowledges that that's the future. You know. Yeah. Um. These the SOC vendors in the camera space are making something that looks like a smartphone platform. And just everybody knows that's the future. You know, the convergence will happen. Yeah. Um, but I'm curious what that means, right? Because, like, when well, you just get a connected point and shoot or you get a you get a smartphone that has a really great camera. Yeah. My, usually... my personal feeling is that we want, we want a smartphone that has a really great camera uh, that doesn't sacrifice with, like, it's really thick. You know, like yeah. the 808, it's really thick. And... Okay, so they move the opposite direction, really. The industry direction is towards even smaller pixels, even smaller optics, um, using computational photography techniques to get even smaller. 
Um, one of my friends is working on something with uh, nano diamonds that can then be cast um, in, a, in like a polymer um, support material. And then you would get the refractive properties of a diamond and something formable like PMMA. So like ac- acrylic, you know, the different smartphone lens materials. Yeah. So these advances are coming and like the index of refraction of diamond is like 2.6. The index of refraction of like PMMA is, I don't know, close to 1.4, I think, off the top of my head. It's not very fancy. Uh, It's not very high. So that's how you get the smaller and smaller camera optics. And that's the future, right? So Nokia moved the other way with the 808. Yeah. Um, It's 1.4. I'm sorry, 1.49. So ultimately what you think then is that um, convergence happens, but really what drives it is, you know, whoever ends up on top ends up being the smartphone guys. Yeah, right. The best camera is the camera one is the one. The best camera is the one that's in your pocket. That adage, whoever coined it, I mean, they nailed it. Yeah. Right. Um, And I think this illustrates that to me a lot because it's difficult to carry around. But at the same time, I just want to see the other side move that direction too. Yes. And it's not a surprise that it's Samsung that's kind of doing it the right way first because they basically already have they already have a Galaxy S3 and that's really just like a camera a point and shoot camera tacked onto it like literally the board everything inside is just an international Galaxy S3 and you know for Nikon that's more of a challenge because they never built a smartphone before yeah. you know so their first product like again like we're just laughing it's single core A5 <laughs> 2.3 in this day and age you know like it's really laggy okay it's got a wvga screen like to me that just says okay it's been in development for like forever yeah and now it's ready um at the same time i would expect that nikon has more die area dedicated to their image signal processing than than samsung does on theirs but if it's using an off die isp which i think it does then that's not as much of a problem anymore so you know so i wonder if then what we do end up seeing is a lot of mergers or acquisitions between camera companies and phone companies. Oh, sure. Sure. Well, you know, at the same time, um, a lot of those players already do have the camera components. You know, like Samsung makes its own CMOS. That's true. Uh, that gets used in a bunch of stuff. HTC uses a lot of Samsung CMOS. Sony also has like a lion's share of the CMOS market. You know, they're in the iPhone, um, and they make a smartphone too. Uh, who else, you know, right? There's not very many other players. OmniVision just makes um, CMOSs for everybody. Yeah. Um, I guess I look at it in, you know, Canon and Nikon. At some point, it might make sense for them to, you know, kind of get closer <laughs> with, with someone in the phone space. Right, right. Well, maybe, you know, I don't know. Eventually, it, it's going to happen. The pressure is on. Uh, I don't ever think that I would love to have a connected DSLR. Yes, that's what I would really like. But apparently, that just is impossible um, for whatever reason. Like nobody wants to execute there. I don't know what the deal is. There's just like like it blows my mind. I have like two thousand dollar DSLR that I don't have a one dollar GPS. <laughs> you know. Well, so to or me... Wi-Fi. Like it's like what is the bomb? It's like single digit dollars. <laughs> Like, you just can't write the firmware for it? I don't understand. Fire everybody in the building. Hire somebody that can. Like, just do it. Like, I'll spend the money right now. Right? And I've said this. Like, I've been, like, at Optics, the affiliates were, like, Nikon and Canon. 
Yeah. And I went to them and I was like, so what's your plan going forward? Like, I want to connect to DSLR. You know, like, I'm shooting a wedding. I want to upload the pictures. Like, this is competitive edge, right? Like, how fast can you deliver the, the processed photos to the customer? Yeah. Right? Because, like, it doesn't matter. Like, if you're going to spend, if you're going to go to pro photographer and spend, like, a couple thousand dollars or more to get weddings, wedding photos taken, um, and then uh, who, who, what photos does the bride upload to her Facebook first? The ones that some dude took on his smartphone, right? Like that's just like I'm tearing my hair out. Everything is wrong. Like you're doing everything <laughs> wrong. You're not first. Who cares? Like you know, be first or die. And again, that needs to happen, and it's gonna happen. And that's why I feel strongly about the point and shoot that has Android on it. Yeah, you know, because I can upload to Dropbox and then just share the Dropbox folder with you know whoever. Um, and by the way, that works. That's going to work. They gave me a test build. There's some issue with uh, phones that don't have the camera app, don't get detected as having the mobile upload target properly. So I got in touch with them and they gave me a test build and verified that it works. Um, you know, like because as a reviewer, we kind of get these things first and they were like, we don't even have anything to test on. <laughs> so, so I did, you know, like I was like, hey, I'll test whatever build you guys want. And they were like, we'll build this into our next release. Awesome. And um, so it's, I thought there was, I was, I'm a bit of conspiracy theorist. I was like, maybe it's AT&T doesn't want Dropbox upload over their network anymore. And that's not the case. So like I was, that was just me being paranoid, you know, so it works. <laughs> that's good. Um, okay. So the uh, other thing that you've been really passionate about is Nexus 4 and this whole LTE discussion. Yes. Um, yes. So, so tell us what, what, what happened there? Well, so it was like Black Friday and like I had just gotten back from like being at Best Buy with 1,500 people or whatever. And <laughs> was it really 1,500 people at your Best that's Buy? That's what my friend said. I don't know what the actual number was, but like that store was full, okay? Like I was elbowing through people. <laughs> but then I got home with my brother and then I saw like people on Twitter who are always first to notice these things saying that, hey, uh, some Canadians are showing the Nexus 4 on LTE. And it's on AWS. And I was shocked. And I was immediately, uh, I was like, well, I have the, the base station emulator. I can emulate whatever band I want. Let's go, like, make sure it works. And sure enough, the Nexus 4 um, will attach to LTE on AWS. And by AWS, I mean AWS 1. So the, the uplink on 1700 megahertz, downlink on 2100 megahertz. And... That's very surprising because it shouldn't have that because it's not in the FCC docs. It's not acknowledged by Google. Um, as we've talked about in the review, the hardware is there for it. It has the right transceiver, 1605L. has the right baseband, 9215M. Um, there are some power amplifiers that are that Avago says worked with LTE channel bandwidths on bands, I believe, 1, 4, and 5. I'm off of memory here. But, um, of course, you need to have the software profile on the baseband to do, to be both watching for these bands and then work for it. And then in Android, you know, you need to, the, the real needs to ask for that. So people, what they had done is just gone into phone info, which is 4636, like star pound, star pound, 4636, pound, star, pound, star, which is on like every Android phone ever, um, and it, it is on every Android phone over. Some OEMs lock it out, but you can still get to it if you unlock it or use an app. And I saw people like commenting about this, but it, it is there. Uh, 
just period, end of story, even if it's locked out. It's like a part of the Android to begin with. But if you go on there and then you set the the prop the network prefer preferred network type correctly, uh, then you can attach to LTE. So I was like, holy crap, I need to go test this. And sure enough, it works with all channel bandwidths on AWS up to 20 megahertz. And it's um, full on UE category three LTE with two by two. Um, I'm now sure that it's two by two. Initially, I can't really directly test that it's it's two by two. I can only test one by one, you know, because it, uh, I don't have the cables for the Nexus 4 antenna connectors quite yet, but I can sort of like jury rig them together. And from the tests that I've seen, people are over the one by one rates. So yeah, the Nexus 4 has two by two LTE, full category three, up to 20 megahertz channel bandwidths on uh UMTS band four, LTE band four, AWS one, and which is very surprising because it shouldn't be there. And I didn't write this in the review, but I don't expect it to stay around for long because that's, um, I'm not a lawyer, but that's totally not legal. Like that's just totally not okay. And, uh, to make it legal, LG needs to file a class two permissive change with the SEC or lock it out with a firmware update. So like either one of those things will happen in the next few days. Like it's a holiday right now. I'm sure people will just elect to never flash that radio or like will flash back. But I was just blown away because this is just not okay. Like it's not certified. It's not on the FCC. It's, it's, it can't be legal. Um, cause but you, it works. you dug through the FCC like test reports and there's, I do no that for indication. every phone. Yeah. Yeah. I do that for every phone. Like, and it's actually like a consequence of this job. I do that for everything that has an FCC ID on it. <laughs> Like I see it and then I'm like, ooh, I want to go see the internal photos. Like I want to go see like what are all the cool things. Yeah. You know, because like it's better spec sheet. Like this is what's legally allowed to be possible on the device. Right? So when you have when you're supporting more than that, that's a mistake. Like this is a mistake on somebody's part. And it's totally a T-Mobile phone. Like this is even more T-Mobile than ever because they have AWS LTE plans. And I have no doubt that's that's something, there's something there um, that's going on. So you think uh, that uh, the the idea was, hey, you know, maybe at some point in the future, this can become, you know, this platform, you know, we might do a LTE version on T-Mobile whenever that happens. Right, right. And that's their plans too, is to deploy LTE on AWS. Yes. And so um, the fact that it has AWS LTE to me is just no surprise. Like this is even more of a T-Mobile phone. And um there's nowhere in the U.S. you can use it. There are some AWS LTE networks like Cricket, U.S. Cellular. Um, those aren't going to really work well on the Nexus 4. Um, AT&T, everybody talks about, but AT&T has pretty much abandoned AWS. I think it's okay to say that now. Um, this was like an internal rumor thing for a while. Um, I've heard from a lot of vendors who are just telling me the same thing. Like They just start laughing when you talk about AT&T, AWS, like all those phones were built prior to the T-Mobile acquisition falling through. Now that it's AWS holdings are pretty much just all T-Mobiles in a lot of markets. Um, the mitigation is to move the cellular uh, 850 and PCS 1900 for more LTE spectrum. And that's sort of why you see the new phones coming from AT&T with LTE um, enabling that support, even though it was already there because it's already there on the transceiver, but enabling that support, you know, in terms of their, their baseband software, um, and in terms of what they're FCC certified for, 
because that's the path going forwards. Like the iPhone has that. A lot of other, you know, like iPad has that. Those are the big consumers for AT&T, LTE, when they're looking at, hey, we need to, you know, mitigate cell loading. And um, so, yeah, don't get, don't expect this to work on AT&T, LTE, on AWS, because that doesn't exist anywhere right now. And it's entirely possible that it will never exist, like increasingly likely by the day, <laughs> you know. Yeah, like I'd love to see it. Like my big thing I'm always like crossing my fingers for is like maybe they'll light it up at CES, you know? And that's yeah. the big thing, big rumor everybody else has. Like our big, um, our big, you know, like wish list is like maybe T Mobile will light up AWS LTE at CES, right? Like wouldn't that be awesome? <laughs> and then like, because then that would be the safe haven. Like there's no safe haven to CES, right? ATT LTE is was the safe haven last year because nobody had devices like there yes. were two, you know, you needed to be like a who's who to have whatever. And then the year before it was the same with Verizon. Like you needed to be a who's who to have a Verizon LTE device. And so those two were basically, they always worked. Like I was getting like 30 megabits on the show floor. Um, I saw like Sasha with the Verizon dongle getting like 40 megabits that one year on Verizon <laughs> LTE. Right. And so that's all gone away. Like, I just guarantee it's going to be dead this year and there's nothing you can do about it. And that's not a slight against anybody. It's just like, yeah, it's impossible. Even with the DOS, like I talked with Verizon people and they were like, yeah, we have a DOS in that building, but like, it's not going to help. Like, it doesn't matter. And cows, (laughs) those are just like for appearances only. Like the cell size needs to be like the size of a room, you know, like, and those rooms are huge. So even then it's impossible. Yeah. So everybody's pipe dream is like maybe T-Mobile will jump in with AWS, but that's not going to happen either. Probably. Um, yeah. Cause that's a much, much longer, uh, uh, roadmap and rollout that they're talking about deploying LT on AWS. True. But the T-Mobile market is already upgraded in, in, uh, LA. They have the full upgraded, um, they have the full upgraded packet core and they have the full upgraded, um, B, you know, B hardware, you know, yeah. like they've, that market is fully upgraded. It's running U nineteen hundred right now. It's fully modernized. It it could it could go live at any time. Like it totally is possible. It's just a question of like are they are they ready? Yeah. You know, and um maybe the Note two would work on it. So who knows? And obviously Nexus four. But Nexus four has LTE and I've I've tested it, confirmed it. It doesn't work on any other bands. A lot of people were like, does it work on all these other bands? I was like, no, it can't work on these other bands that doesn't have PAs for, you know, period. Um, but I tested them to just like appease people and obviously they don't work. It's only band four. And to me, that really just says somebody left the box checked when they were building um, the baseband software for it to look for band four LTE. And it attaches wicked fast. So to me, that's saying like it's only looking for LTE on band four, which is nuts. Yeah. But it's, I don't think it's going to stick around for very long. Like, this is totally not okay. <laughs> you know? Like, it's don't, ex- don't buy a phone. Don't buy this phone with the expectation that it's going to be working. You know? Like, don't buy it if you're in Canada with the expectation that this is always going to be there. Yeah. And at the same time, they could make it a thing. You know? Like, why not? I don't know. That's really, for me, it's curious why it isn't on 1, 4, and 5. Um but it's not going to be any utility in the U S you know, and it's, it's utility in Canada. Okay. But not, not anywhere else. So yeah, it, it definitely looked like an oversight, especially once you started digging into it and found that this was the only thing that was supported. Um, 
which things like that do happen from time to time. Yeah, it's totally a mistake. Like, I know it's a mistake and somebody's getting yelled at a lot. <laughs> Poor you know, guy. I'm glad it's not me, but at the same time, like, <laughs> hey, this is not, it's not okay. You know? But well, it keeps things So I tested all the bands. I tested every single band. Like, after coming home from Best Buy at, like, 2 in the morning. <laughs> yeah. So I want to talk about that a little bit then, switching gears. Um, once more, we have uh, Black Friday just happened. Um, I, I actually, you know, around this time of year, I try to like carve out a little bit of time and just like catch up on games that I haven't played. And so I picked up Assassin's Creed three for the 34, $35. I didn't actually do that on black Friday. I, I don't know. I took the laser route out and just did the buy online and pick up in store the next day. Um, oh, but so that's been, cool. Yeah, no, I mean, it works for me. Like it's, I, I just did not go out during that day. I went out really late at night, um, just to like run some errands and just be out of the house. Um, but, but I didn't dare. <laughs> I want to get like stabbed over, you know, a, <laughs> a good TV deal. <laughs> you gotta go, I, you gotta go armed. Dude, it's a genuine concern, right? Like I remember, so, um, the night the Wii U launched, I, yeah, you did that. Yeah, well, so I'm sitting there and I'm like, you know, I don't, I don't want to go wait in line, right? I didn't pre-order one. <laughs> I egged you on to do it. Yeah, I, I didn't pre-order one, and I don't really, I haven't been a Nintendo fan for a really long time. Um, I bought the original Wii. It's just I, I'm giving it to someone just because I never use it. Um, I don't know. It's just Nintendo has lost me as a as an actual customer. But the Wii U was really interesting from a hardware standpoint. Um, and I totally understand it's like it's appeal if you've got kids or, um, you know, you really like Mario. I, I understand that there are people out there who are not me who like this platform. That's totally fine. Um, but I was really interested in the silicon, right? Because this yeah. is the first, you know, everyone keeps talking about, oh, it's the next generation console. It's not. It's just a modern version of, you know, an older console. Huh? And it's like finally, finally up to speed. Right, something is new, you know? And yeah. we've had the Xbox 360 since 2005. We had the PS3 since, what, 06? Like, that's just really old hardware at this point. I mean, if you're using... It would be best a third way- grader. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I actually was discussing with someone else. I want to quantize devices by, like, what age they are, like, where they are. Would they have dropped out of high school by now? Like, can they drink, <laughs> you know? Where are they in the K-12 through educational system? Yes. Yeah. yeah. So a third grader, yes, that's a good way of It's it. a third grader. <laughs> I mean, so the Wii U is interesting because clearly, like, they maintain backwards compatibility, and they do it, um, as far as I can tell, not by putting, you know, a, a previous generation uh, CPU on there. Um, so, you know, it's still using IBM PowerPC-derived architectures. Uh, the big rumor is that it's the same chip from before, just running at higher clocks and, and more cores. Um and then on the GPU side, you know, ATI designed the old GPU for uh, for the Wii, and um, you know, we'd heard this rumor internally, and, and more people are saying it publicly now. But it's it's an RV7XX derived GPU. Uh, so putting that in you know PC GPU terms, that's like Radeon 4800 genre of, of graphics card. Um, right, right. So it's it's. Like, that's not fast at all by, like, modern-day standards, but it's way better than where we used to be, right, in, in terms of game consoles. So, you know, I wanted to take a look at the the internal... Just I just wanted to look at the silicon. Um, and, and Nintendo actually posted 
a shot of the chip. It just wasn't very well done. And I wanted die sizes, right? I wanted like so whatever. I'm I'm sitting yeah, here. Yeah, they posted pics of the board and the like chip, but they were like blurry. They were kind of like look at our hardware, but yeah, we're not gonna was, make this easy for you. No, and they were like really low res <laughs> yeah. and so I was like, all right, I wanna I wanna look at this thing, but I, I don't wanna go to Walmart at you know midnight during a console <laughs> launch, right? Like I don't wanna get stabbed <laughs> over this. <laughs> <That's> just... <laughs> yeah, because you're not even that like installed and like I'm gonna play this every day or like No, I like I don't you know, I have friends, you know, Manny came over and he was like, oh, Mario. And like, he's talking to, talking about it to me all the time. And I don't I'm, really, yeah, I'm done with saving the princess. Like, it's just, I don't want to do that anymore. Yeah. yeah. I, I want to be the guy kidnapping the princess, right? If, if Nintendo <laughs> made a game like that, I'd be it's like, it's a different oh, yeah. game. That's rated M. <laughs> so, you know, whatever. I, I, I didn't go out that first night, not because, you know, I came to my senses, but because all the Walmarts I called said, hey, we, uh, and they were the only ones doing the night launches here. So they all said, hey, we, uh, uh, we don't have any left. Um, and I don't know if that was actually the truth or just like really unhelpful salespeople. But then the next day, I don't know, something spurred me on and I'm like, I really want to take this thing apart. So I called around and, uh, I got a, like a tip that Target might have them. So I drove down there, they didn't have any, and there's a Best Buy and I went there and I couldn't find any, but I asked a guy and he was like, you know, we got three in the back if you'll meet me over here. Like they didn't want to, it was super sketch. They didn't want to do this like at the customer service desk. No, no. It was like, I had to go meet this guy who just came from the warehouse. Like I'm guessing they didn't want me getting stabbed either. So like whatever, I I finally got Is there really that much demand for the Wii U though? I don't know. Like I thought you could just go and walk and buy them right now, can't you? So at all the non-Best Buy stores I've been to, that was not the case. Um, So all the GameStops were sold out. All the Targets were sold out. Um... Wow. Now, well, good best, for Nintendo. Good for them. Well, I don't know if they were sold out because, like, you know, everyone's buying them or because they don't have a lot of them, right? Like, that's that's yeah. always the case. But but Best Buy here, uh, even later that night, you're still able to go out and, and get them. So I, I don't know how much of that demand is, um, you know, because the console is so awesome versus just normal supply and demand yeah, stuff. Yeah, um, So I get it, take it apart, and... So this kills me. I don't know. Did you see the iFixit teardown of it? I did. Yes. And so they, you know, the problem is it's got a, the, the, it's a single chip, um, multi-chip module. So it's three dies on a single, a single substrate. Um, you've got the CPU die, the GPU die, and then something else, which is too small to be the GPU's embedded DRAM. Um, people have hypothesized that it's like some sort of a switch or something necessary for backwards compatibility, um, like a, oh, interesting. a die that does some of the, like the security work um, that, that Nintendo mm. had integrated before. So it, that's not entirely clear, but you have these three die um, on, a, on a multi-chip module, and that whole thing is under an integrated heat spreader. Yes. So me coming from the PC side, hey, how do you get an integrated heat spreader off? You take a razor blade and you just hack at the glue and you cut yourself up a lot and then you pull it off. Of course i fix it is like oh we've got this really hot heat gun and we just blast it on there and then remove the the ihs i've never in my life done that and i felt like the biggest idiot after i saw that because of course <laughs> you hacked at it for hours dude didn't you, i or? hacked at it for so long right like so i'm used to uh the last heat spreader i took off was off of like a mobile turion x2 or something right so in in that particular chip, I could use like the the razor blade out of a uh, like a box cutter, 
You know, it was easy yeah. to get leverage on and very solid, very strong, not a problem. Here, I couldn't fit that size of blade in between the heat spreader and the package substrate. So a few years back, I got this like crazy idea that I was going to start using like a double-edged shaver, like, you know, an old school, like basically a blade on a stick and use that to yeah. shave. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. That ended very poorly, but I still had the kit, right? And I had like a stack of these really thin, really sharp razor blades. So, of course, like that fits in perfectly. And I'm like, okay, this is going to suck. Um, and if you've, <laughs> if you've ever like removed a, a heat spreader before, that glue, it's not, I mean, it's not super strong, but you don't really have a good way to get leverage. So I'm yeah. sitting there like hacking away for, I don't know, 20 or 30 minutes. And I'm like, this is, I'm not making anywhere near the amount of progress I need to make. So I took one of the razor blades, I bent it in half. So I have basically two blades now on top of each other. Um, and I shoved that into the handle of like an X-Acto knife. Now I've got leverage. Oh. I've got like more cutting area. And now I'm like making really good progress, right? But of course, when the glue eventually breaks, I'm putting so much force on it. Like then just the whole like assembly goes way, way beyond, you know, the borderline of the, the heat spreader. And, and now it starts hitting stuff. Yeah. So it went inside. I, yeah, it, it definitely went inside. So then when I remove the heat spreader, I'm like, there's no way this is going to work. Like, I see bits of silicon, like bits of, of dye that I've scraped off of what I believe is the CPU dye. Um, like, it's all shiny. I'm like, you know, kind of blowing it out of the way so it doesn't end up touching something. Um, and whatever, I go to town, take photos of the whole thing, do the dye measurements and stuff like that. And I go to turn it on fully expecting... You know, the failure mode for this kind of stuff when you, like, just damage silicon ends up being, like, just fans spin indefinitely and nothing happens. Yeah. But then the machine starts. And I'm blown away. Like, the entire time I'm just tweeting, hey, this is not, like, this is going to fail at some point. And I'm posting pictures of, like, me clearly having, you know, massacred the CPU die. But it keeps working. And it's actually been working ever since. Um, so the only explanation I have is... These are flip chip BGA packages. So when you build um, when you build a microprocessor, you have your transistor layer at the bottom. Then you have multiple layers of metal that basically connects everything together. Um, in a flip chip, you flip it upside down. So your transistor layer is at the top, and that's what your heatsink or heat spreader gets um, butts up against. And that way, you can like quickly remove heat. Um, and then all of those. Uh, metal layers kind of dive down into the PCB, and then that's what ends up what ends up being routed to um, through the substrate through all the balls in the package. So that's gotcha. a, a yeah. flip chip design. In that design, you actually have some layers deposited, you know, kind of on top of the transistor layer that are there simply for structural like integrity. Um, and it's interesting if you ever do failure analysis on these chips, like uh, when someone gets a chip back, you know, this is like the first. 50 chips that they get back of, you know, whatever CPU or GPU that they're building, um, and something's wrong with it, you don't want to wait for the fab to, you know, just, you figure out the problem in software, then you send the fab new masks and, and they fix it. You want to find out, like, what's going on right there, right now. So they will actually sand away those extra layers that are there for structural integrity, and then they'll, they'll do, like, a whole bunch of thermal analysis and, like, uh, shoot ions at the thing and like just get a lot of detail as to what's going on in the chip by by just kind of shaving that away um so the best i can i can you know deduce from all of this is that that's what i did I, I shaved away some stuff that was just not i hadn't hit the transistor layer yet interesting i mean i looked at those photos but i couldn't tell where the damage was 
Yeah, like what I should have done in hindsight is is pulled out, you know, like a really good macro lens and gotten in there. I think I felt like such an idiot. I didn't want to further document how dumb I was. <laughs> so, um, it's all good. So I, that, I mean, your pictures were excellent. Like I stayed up and watched um, some other people take it apart, but they didn't want to take the IHS off. Yeah, I mean, if you actually care about like the console, I mean, I wouldn't want to do that either. But like I, I just I have this like disdain in my heart for this thing. <laughs> like it's <laughs> you're like I don't care if it turns on. No, I I really like the only reason I, I was upset at myself was because I didn't do power and, and analysis and all that stuff before I took it apart, right? Gotcha. And I was like, oh, this sucks. I'm gonna have to like go get another one now to do all of that stuff. Um, but no, it it worked. And, and like the Wii U is kind of interesting. Um, the you know it's got that like gigantic tablet gamepad device um which is kind of neat you know if you're running netflix on it for example you can switch the stream between your tv and um the little window on the tablet itself uh that's sounds, pretty cool yeah sounds when you're playing like mario um they they'll actually also come out of the the tablet um you can also watch your progress on there itself uh so it's you know there's some neat stuff that happens um, I haven't it's like the sh- Wiimote though. The Wiimote had a speaker. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, so I, I don't know. I haven't had a chance to um, like play any of the other games on it yet. Like I, I got um, Black Ops Two and actually got Assassin's Creed Three for it as well. And I'll be doing like a uh, basically a frame dump um, uh, over HDMI from that and the Xbox Three Hundred and Sixty. I just want to look at how they are, you know taking advantage of the additional gpu horsepower um yeah and that's the right way to do it too with the black magic card yes yeah you brian recommended that um i grab this black magic intensity pro which is this uh 1x pcie um it's a gen 2 card i believe Um, it is an awesome card like it is it is the best card for hdmi capture it's so funny because if you read user reviews of that card like on amazon or on the apple store it's just like so much negativity and i think people are they're confused by it yeah they're they're buying it for other purposes like i don't i don't know what people i i just want it so i can grab you know frames and and some video samples from the xbox and and the wii u um well people that are negative about all these cap cards don't understand that nobody can do 1080p 60 yeah they can do 1080i 60 you can do 720p 60 but you can't do 1080p 60 like nobody nobody can. And what's really interesting about the Black Magic card is that there's a Xilinx FPGA on it. You know, it yeah, is just like that. it is a straight up FPGA. <laughs> like any time that you see that, I just love it. I just like it. This is awesome. You know, like this is real serious business. <laughs> you know, and it has like a USB header on the inside, so you like totally that's for like programming. You know, the FPGA on the yeah. fly. You know, and it's not like documented or anything and there are no updates for it yet. But I mean, like, that's what it's there for. <laughs> you know, this thing is awesome. I don't know. It's the so only one the... that's uncompressed, too. Yeah, like I'm dying to play around with it. Um, I, I've got a few other things. I want to finish the iPad 4 review before before then, um, which interestingly enough. Uh, so when I'm playing around with that, um, I did confirm that, yes, a lot of the game developers, um, including uh, including Epic, have now gone full native res basically on if you've got the ipad 4 versus ipad 3 for infinity blade 2 um i I don't remember the exact res that it rendered at internally on the ipad 3 um but infinity blade used to render at a non-native res 
and do AA and scale up. Whereas with um, if you're running on an iPad 4, it'll actually render it uh, 2048 by 1536. And I saw that Shadowgun does that as well. So it looks oh, really? like yeah. So this is this is now you know with that that 554 MP4. Yeah. Um, now we're starting to see enough horsepower where, where game devs are, are just saying, "Hey, we're going to render it native res now." Nice. I mean, that's a big that's a big deal. That's I mean, that was my turn off with iPad three. Yep. Um, that was sort of always never spec'd out enough to do native res gaming. Exactly. Um, so it's uh, if you look at. The rest of the characteristics, battery life does improve a bit. Um, you know, thanks. It's it's same kind of deal with the iPhone five, right? Um, it it improves because of race to sleep because you can you know kind of drive it down, um, drive power down quickly because you are using Swift cores. They've moved to thirty two nanometer, so battery life does improve a little bit, not as much as you would think. Um, and and that really has to do with the fact that this is just a much more power hungry platform to begin with. Um, surprisingly enough, thermals actually are a little bit worse in in my testing on the four versus the three so they're not really yeah they're not hugely worse but you like i I ran in a bunch of different scenarios and you usually gain a a degree or two um, maybe even three fahrenheit in in surface temperature oh i wonder if that's just better um if they have a better thermal interface so it's just heating up on the surface more or well it's it's it's, really running hotter I mean, the thing is, the GPU cores are a lot more power. Like, I mean, they, yeah. they are a lot more. It's 2x the speed, yeah. right? So, yeah. <laughs> so there's that. And the same thing on the CPU side, as we showed, you know, Swift is more power efficient if you're looking at, um, power efficiency is the wrong word. Um, given the same task, Swift can do things quicker and thus race to sleep quicker, but it will draw more power. Right, right. So I'm curious, does the iPad 4 now finally have charge equilibrium when plugged in and running stuff? Um, I don't actually know. Uh, that is, I, uh, all of my testing thus far has been off the charger because I've been doing thermal stuff, but I'll definitely look at that for the final review. Because um, it was always hilarious to me to go in the Apple store and see these, de- like the iPad 3 plugged in. Yeah. And it's at like 50%. <laughs> you know, like all of them are 50%. And it's not like the batteries are worn out. It's like they can't even maintain charge equilibrium. But so charge equilibrium, I believe in the past, that was only an issue if you're running at max brightness and yeah. driving well, the CPU and GPU. Like if you were playing Infinity Blade, you could not maintain charge equilibrium. Right. These were just like store units, 100% brightness, yeah. like idle. Um. So I don't know, and I do know they they up the charger to twelve watts now. So I don't know if that was actually part of it, or oh. um, I don't know. I, I don't want to speculate. I'll I'll test that, and that'll Weird. be done. That's that'll not even that much, though. I don't know. The Nexus Ten. A lot of people with Nexus Tens have been asking me to get to the bottom of that too, because it's also ten watts. And some people were saying, "Hey, I can't maintain charge equilibrium." Personally, I've I've been using it plugged in. I haven't noticed it like discharge. I mean, this is like a common thing now. It's kind of a lost battle. Yeah. We just need to move to like huge power supplies for tablets. <laughs> like big 45 watt bricks. It needs to be like at least 20, at least double. Yeah. You know, 10 clearly isn't enough. And I don't know. There was, I don't know. I feel like it just needs to be more. You know, like the charge time for a smartphone is three hours. Yes. The charge time for a tablet from zero seems to be just like two or three times more. Yeah, well, even on the the iPad Mini, it's it's a good four hours because um, it's it's charged by the iPhone 
power adapter, right? Like, it's, oh, is it really? Yeah, you don't wow. get the big one. You get the the five watt. Oh, that watt. sucks! Wow, yeah. wow! I didn't know that. I mean, like, I haven't played with iPad Mini at all. Yeah, it's no, it's 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 long. I was surprised. I was like, this is still going, but hey, it makes sense. You know, it's it's what a fourteen ish hour or sixteen hour watt hour battery, um, and you're charging it with again. It's the same charger you get with the iPhone four with the iPhone five. Yeah, gotcha. Interesting. Um, so back on the console side. Um, so did you play on the Wii U? I know you ran Sun Spider, but did you actually play stuff? Oh, yeah, I played Mario, and I've determined that I'm really bad at Mario. Like, it's, <laughs> I was good when I was a kid, but I no longer, maybe I don't have the patience now? Like, I don't, I don't really know what it is I'm lacking. But I seriously, like, you know, I, I had something like 10 lives or something during that first world map. And I promptly blew them all in the first castle. Like, I couldn't beat the first castle without huh. continuing. Does it go is, down to negative or just, like, you go to zero and that's it? You go to zero and then it asks you, uh-huh. like, if you want to continue. It asks nicely. Like, it doesn't make fun of you. But It's uh, like you're a failure? Yeah. But uh-huh. I felt like a failure because I'm like, you know, kids do this. Kids can beat this world without going through the... And it's not like I'm physically incapable of it. It's I don't think I have the patience anymore. Yeah, yeah. Right? Like I don't You know, have wanna... you ever have you ever played this is like it's a Mario game that somebody like modified? Have you ever heard of Dongs.exe? <laughs> it's, no. it's it's the stupidest name ever, but that's the actual name of the game. <laughs> and so... it's like it's like Super Mario but um with a cat and like it's out to out to get you and you can go to minus lives. Like minus 100 lives. It's like the worst game ever. <laughs> No, I've never played. Dongs. You need to play that. Yeah, you need to play it. It's it goes to like minus a hundred. Like, I've seen people playing it and they're just like minus a hundred lives. <laughs> I don't know how to search for this game and not you just get search malware. Yeah, you just search that and it's not it's not malware. It's like the game pops up. Like that's the name of the game. <laughs> okay, I'll I'll look for dongs.exe. Is it? Is I'm it not like... even kidding. That's the name of the game. It's like it's 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 like Super Mario. But it's hyper difficult, and it's it's out to kill you. And well, so that's the thing. This the Mario Brothers for the Wii U, and and so I will say this: finally, we have a Mario game that like doesn't look like absolute crap on a modern TV. Um, yeah, it's ten. Is it 1080p? Is that I what don't know. 1080p? I haven't actually screen grabbed it yet to oh. find out. Um, I know there was all this discussion about 720 versus 1080. I, I I don't know actually what it what its internal res is. Um, is there there's still discussion about this? Well, no, what's I, the discussion? I, oh, I, I don't about whether like, it is one or the other. Yeah, I I, I wasn't um uh, huh. uh like I said I wasn't following this all that carefully. Um, but the other thing is you know a lot of the consoles they pick funny internal frame. Uh, yeah resolutions. oh yeah i mean that's like halo 3 was not 720p it was like 560 or something exactly yeah and and so i haven't actually done the frame analysis to figure out what they're running at um but it looks good right it looks so much better than on the um than on the wii the previous wii that's encouraging i really like the i want to the mirror cast aspect of it that's weird to me like it has two wireless stacks and one of them is dedicated to doing mirror cast to the the con- you know, like the controller slash tablet thing. Yeah, I mean it's pretty cool, right? Like that the is pretty is, cool. You know, it's effectively a dual-headed machine. So one head outputs to your TV, um, and then the second head uh, just it's. And they said it's something like one um, one frame of lag, basically. 
wow. where it'll it'll bundle up that that display output and send it wirelessly over um, 802.11n to your your tablet handheld gaming pad. I, I guess they call it the gamepad. Interesting. Yeah, I mean that that's interesting to me just because I don't know lately Miracast has been coming up a lot. Yes. No, Miracast sounds really cool. I, I want um I want it to be ubiquitous so we we don't have to keep asking for people to take wireless display seriously. Right, right. And um even though everybody gives Apple TV and AirPlay credit for being first even though it was wireless display from Intel first that yes. really sort of started this. Yep. Now, Intel Wide Eye, when I saw that at CES, I was like, this is awesome. Everything needs to have this. Um, so, I want to yeah. know more about the Wii U, though. So then what, what are you going to do next other so than capture? Next, yeah, next is just going to be capture. I want to see um, just what they're doing internally in terms of... Uh, I, I want to know what resolutions they're running at. I also want to do like just a bit of comparison in terms of load times and stuff like that between it and 360. N- not necessarily because that's going to be a determining factor with which console you get, but because I feel like there is no real pressure on the console hardware makers to do more. Like all of the discussions about uh, what hardware to put inside and, and all of this stuff, that all happens between closed door, behind closed doors between the console maker and the game developers, right? None mm-hmm. of those discussions are ever made public. Yeah. And if any of those guys have grievances, they don't get aired. Right, because like, well, what we, are you Wii U, do? can you install games to the hard disk? Like you, 360, you can install games to the hard disk. You cannot, um, as far as I can huh. tell, you cannot. Um, I actually, so they're I just gonna lose, right? Like, there's no way. Well, I mean, you could have said that Nintendo would have lost last gen because they didn't have HD support, right? Um, I think they're mm-hmm. just they're playing a different game than the rest of the console guys. Um, I, I think they're yeah. Nintendo is focused on building consoles for the next generation of like kid gamers. Right, so for what Nintendo yeah. was for me in the '80s with the NES, uh, that's what the Wii and the Wii U are for for folks going forward. Um, but then you grow. Do you really up and- think that though? I mean, like all little kids that I know, like my cousins, they they're they like they play PS3, they play Xbox 360, and but how like, old are they? Eight. I mean, they're not like average little kids. I mean, I don't uh, Chris, I don't know what average little kids are. None of my <laughs> friends have kids, but my uncle is not like what I would call average. Like he's also very technical. Yeah. And I don't know, like his kids play portal and they're like, I remember like five years ago I had them over. They came to Tucson and I was playing like half life two with them. Yeah. And Shane, who was like maybe six or something like he was, he was wiping the floor like it <laughs> of me, like at half life two death match. And I was <laughs> like, awesome. what is this? Like, what is this? Like I routinely wipe, wipe the floor at, at that time online and i was like this is like actually i'm trying (laughs) so but i see them playing like real console shooters so like i don't know you know like there's this market supposedly of like little kids that just love all the nintendo stuff but i've it's totally alien to me it's alien to me as well um but at least with the the original wii i understood right it was a i still believed it was a gimmick but it totally resonated with um, you know, that, that whole family party kind of gaming environment. Now, the Wii U doesn't have as much of that going for it anymore, right? Like, it, it doesn't really, um, I don't know, it, it doesn't have that, uh, 
it's got a new gimmick, and, and this new gimmick I don't necessarily know is, is as applicable to like kind of uh, family gaming or whatever. Um, so maybe ultimately this strategy doesn't last. I mean, if you had asked me, I, I would have sided with you back with the original Wii, but man, that thing sold like crazy. Um, and you know, this is a new console, maybe it doesn't do as well, but uh, uh, I don't know. It, it, I still feel that it, it resonates with a portion of the population um, and, and certain demographics that, that just don't, uh, at least they don't start out on the 360 or on PC gaming. I don't know. Um, so originally I wanted to go over a lot more of what we've been playing. I want to save that for next time because we're, we're approaching almost an hour and 50 minutes here and, and there's a lot of good stuff that I want to talk about. So let's save that for next time. Uh, I want to thank you all for listening, for reading the site, uh, for getting at us via Twitter. I mean, really, honestly, it's, it's your feedback that is super, super um, useful and invaluable to us. Um, and really, we really do appreciate it. So thank you for listening. Um, and we will be back again in a week.